0: You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, hey, last week we wrapped up our series in Galatians, and I hope that you were encouraged and challenged and blessed by that as much as we were. Um, What an incredible letter uh, about the grace and love of God. Over the next two weeks, um, we very rarely preach messages that are just sort of independent on their own, but over the next two weeks, that is what we're going to do, and this morning we're going to talk about politics. This book is called Onward by Russell Moore, Dr. Russell Moore, who is the president of the Religious Ethics and Liberties Commission. Did I get that right? I think that's how you... The Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission. One of the most brilliant men out there, I believe, right now. And I believe this, quite frankly, other than your Bible, could be the most important book that you read at this date and time living in America as a Christian. Okay. In this book, um, Dr. Moore mentions a story that I want to share with you <clears throat> because I really like this story. Um, Loretta Lynn, very famous country singer, had an opportunity one time to go to the White House and meet President Nixon. And she got there and they were kind of ushering everybody in and here, here's President Nixon. And when Loretta Lynn finally gets up to him, she reaches out and grabs his hand and shakes it really firmly and says, Richard, how are (laughs) you? And as you can imagine, everyone in the room was mortified. Nixon's people, Loretta Lynn's people. Finally, somebody pulled Loretta Lynn aside, one of her folks, and said, hey, Loretta, um, you can't do that. You you can't call the president of the United States Richard. And she looked at the guy without even thinking twice and said, well, they called Jesus Jesus, didn't they? I like this story for a couple reasons. First of all, I I would have loved to have seen President Nixon's face. It just probably would have been priceless. Maybe it's on video somewhere, I don't know. But I also love this story because I believe that it starts to put its finger on the tension that we feel between church and state. It also somewhat puts its finger on the pulse of the tension that lies there as living in this world as a Christian. I want to throw something out to you this morning. If you were born in America, I would like for you for just a second to consider this. You were an American before you were a Christian. You were an American before you were a Christian. You might say, well, big deal. Who cares? What does that matter? Well, here's why I want to bring that up this morning, because I want to encourage you never to underestimate the power and the intoxication of the kingdom that you were building before you decided to enter into God's kingdom that he's building. And see, here in America, we build pretty big kingdoms. Now, they don't look like Saudi Arabia or anything, but we build kingdoms, and they're all built around us. But see, as a Christian, you, you, you raise the white flag, and you surrender your kingdom to God's kingdom. That's what happens, and our citizenship changes. And the thing that changes our citizenship is that we believe the life-changing news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel now changes and transforms how we live in this kingdom. It changes what we're living for. It changes everything that we do and say. It changes how we think, how we act, how we live. Everything runs through the lens of the gospel and this includes our politics. Now you might be here this morning and and, and you may be thinking, oh, Brian, I gotta be honest, with you. I'm not really interested in politics. Actually you are. You you might just didn't know it until this morning. Because as a believer, the question is not do I care about politics? The question is, how do I now, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, how do I look at and view politics? So again, we, we were in Galatians, and the last several weeks, we've talked about uh, gospel character, um, what it looks like for the, the gospel to be transforming us on the inside, gospel relationships, how that plays out with us, with one another, as we bear each other's burdens, as we pick each other up uh, in times of repentance, and in gospel vision of how do I now see the life before me through, hopefully, the eyes of Christ. Well, so again, everything in our lives is now approached and navigated through the gospel, through the truth that Our lives have been transformed by the saving work of the king of kings. We now live for his kingdom. We live through his spirit. And we live and stand on the truth of his word. So how does this affect our politics? Let's take a look. Before we do, I would like for us to very intentionally for just a moment, pray. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, um, because you care about all of our life, because you care about politics, we pray that you would give us the eyes to see all of this, give us the wisdom, the discernment. Um, Lord, we pray you would transform the way that we think, the way we act, the way we respond, and Lord, that we would, without question, uh, Lord, stand on the truth of your word, and we pray that you would do all of this for the sake of your kingdom, And we pray in your name. Amen. Look with me in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew 19, there's a story that you probably have heard before. It's a story that we refer to as the rich young ruler, the rich young man. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, uh, it says, And behold, a man came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And we know that this is probably, as it says, uh, a, a guy that's well off. He's probably in politics of some sort, whether it's local or whatever it may be. And he's a young guy. And he comes up to Jesus, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. What Jesus is somewhat affirming here with this man is, it sounds to me like you believe that I am who I say I am, but I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. So Jesus says that, and he says, okay, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. The man says, well, which ones? So Jesus starts just running down the list. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, You should not steal. You will not bear false witness or lie. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to Jesus, I've kept all of those. Now, what do I still lack? What am I still missing? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to the disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. They were disturbed. And they said, well, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I want you to notice something. This man came to Jesus and he wants to know about eternal life. He wants to know what must I do now to take care of or to make this investment, if you will, for later. And Jesus turns around and tells him, here's what you need to surrender, to give up now in order to have something better now. He's saying, what do I have to do now to get this great thing later? Jesus is saying, well, I want to tell you what you need to do now so that you might have this great thing now. He wanted to talk about the future. Jesus wants to talk about now. The young man came seeking heaven, eternal life, and Jesus turns around and offers him a kingdom. Jesus talks more in the Gospels about the kingdom of God than anything else. Some 50 plus times he talks about the kingdom of God. Very few times does Jesus actually use the word heaven. But Jesus is always talking about the kingdom. In Mark chapter 1, look in Mark chapter 1 verse 14. This is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. If you look in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. That's just a drop in the bucket. Over and over again, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God is here. And I will tell you that there has been massive debate over the year about all that it means by the kingdom of God in the gospels. And I'm not going to try to tell you all that it means because I don't know, but I do want to tell you something that I know it means. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he is talking about the present and future rule and reign of God's sovereignty and power. The present and future rule and reign of God's sovereignty and power. So let's walk backwards a little bit, all right? Because by the time you get here in Matthew chapter 19... Jesus is about to, again, share a bunch of parables about the kingdom of God. He already had, in Matthew 13, shared a bunch of parables about the kingdom of God. But look with me in Matthew chapter 6 at where all this sort of launches. In Matthew 6, this is, as you probably know, the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says something that we're probably most of us at least somewhat familiar with. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom, and he will take care of everything that you need. But I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say, seek the kingdom of God. He chose to say, seek first. Why did he do this? Well, this is why he encouraged his disciples just a few minutes earlier in how to pray about this. Okay, why does he say seek first the kingdom of God? Here's why. Jesus knows, you remember I said a minute ago, don't underestimate the power and the intoxication of that kingdom that you were building before you surrendered to his. Jesus knows that that kingdom is going to keep trying to pull us back in. And he also knows that it's always going to disappoint us. There are going to be these times that we run back and try and erect our sandcastles And they're always going to fall apart. And Jesus knows this. So look with me in Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. Jesus is telling his disciples how to pray. And he says, pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Awesome is your name. Magnificent is your name, God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've heard that before, but key in on, on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom, the kingdom of God is what I would like to call already, but not yet. It's already, but not yet. It's not this future far off place somewhere. It's advancing right here, right now through Jesus's followers. And so he's saying to his disciples, and that's us, pray, Father, right now, bring your kingdom to this place through these people, however you choose. And I want to confess to you this morning that I desperately want in my spirit for God's kingdom to come. I want that, my spirit wants that. But I also very often because of my flesh cannot seem to get my kingdom to just go away. Yes, his kingdom, it's coming. And it doesn't matter whether you and I acknowledge it or not. It's coming, it is advancing. But my kingdom still just keeps knocking on the door going, I'm kind of lonely out here. Remember we were friends, come on back out and play. It just keeps trying to pull us back in. And this is where the tension and the battle and the breakdown begin for us. Here's how all of this starts. Here's how the the battle of the kingdoms happen. We very, very often confuse the place of our citizenship with the place of our residence. If you've been a member, a part of our church family for any length of time, you've probably heard me say this and you will hear me say it again. I am a resident of Huntsville, Alabama, but I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. Here's the thing. We talk about that we are citizens of heaven but I want to expound on that this morning because we are not just citizens of heaven. And I say that because I think a lot of us still have this idea of like a far off place with puffy clouds and streets of gold. And and we're all going to go away there sometime much, much later in the future. No, we are not just citizens of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that is the Already coming, but not yet fully here, place that Jesus will return to establish on this earth when he comes to make all things new, including you and me. And we, his people, are bringing that kingdom now to this place through these very small little embassies called the church. The church. And so we're here this morning, and we love the Lord, and we we seek after him, and we want our kingdom to go away and his kingdom to come. So why do we wind up often confusing our place of citizenship with our place of residence? Well, I want to submit to you this morning, it's because of what I would like to call kingdom confusion. You and I, often days of our lives, we come down with a case of kingdom confusion, and so over the next few minutes, I want us to unearth, expose, and confront some of the things that lead us there, okay? One way, and, and and so let me also say this. At some point here, you might be going, all right, I thought we were talking about politics. We're getting there. Often, one of the ways that we wind up in kingdom confusion is that we tend to read scripture through the lens of our kingdom rather than seeing and seeking out God's kingdom through the whole of his word and the gospel. Let me repeat that a little differently. A lot of the times you and I pick this up and we go into it looking for what we want to find rather than going in with a heart and a mind that says, Lord, Rip me apart if you have to, but reveal yourself to me and your kingdom because my life is now lived for the sake of your kingdom. Let me give you an example. There's a verse of scripture that a lot of us really like. Second Chronicles 7.14. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this. If my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. We like that scripture. We want God to do those things and we should. The problem is we misuse and abuse this scripture to no end. This scripture was God's promise to Solomon that if my people that I have made this covenant with, that old covenant, if they keep it, I will do these things. That's what that scripture is about. When we apply this scripture to America Or any modern nation for that matter, we are not only misapplying the scripture, we are quite frankly, potentially diminishing the gospel. Let me explain. I am not saying that our nation is not in need of repentance. I would be an idiot to say that. I am not saying that we should not pray fervently and persistently for our nation. We should. But I would also submit to you this morning that if you read 2 Chronicles 7.14, this is not a verse of scripture that says, man, if all those heathens and hellions out there would just repent and come to God, then everything would be okay. No, 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 no. If my people will repent. If my people... Will pray and repent. But that's still not even the point. Let me ask you a question. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, okay? If God blessing us, if God's favor, if His mercy, if that's contingent on you and I praying, let me ask you a question this morning. How much? Anyone want to take a guess? How much do we have to pray? You think there's one of those thermometers in heaven, like when they're raising money and they're up there going, hey, come on, people. And if the mercury's finally going to shoot through the top and they go, okay, bless them. We so often do not take what we're thinking and yelling about on Facebook past right here. We don't go anywhere with it we don't understand the ramifications of what we are presenting that we believe folks if god's favor if his mercy if his forgiveness are contingent on our effort guess what we're right back in galatia and we're being rebuked like the judaizers second chronicles 7:14 is not the mandate for you and i to have a bumper sticker to tell everybody that we disagree with that they need to repent it's not Ultimately, everything that I just presented to you, do you know what it is? It's another diluted version of the prosperity gospel. And we don't need the prosperity gospel to begin with, much less a diluted version of it. Misunderstanding and misusing the scriptures thrust us into kingdom confusion. If my people called by my name, folks, That is not about a nation. That's about a kingdom. A kingdom of priests. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Another reason that we wind up in kingdom confusion. And let me time out here. Let me, before I go any further, make sure everybody hears me. I'm not mad. Okay. Uh, I, I cannot preach this without getting a little bit heated up. Uh, But I'm, I'm, man, the joy of the Lord. Let's go. (laughs) Uh, Another reason that we wind up in kingdom confusion, to be very honest with you, and this is why I said I'm not mad because I'm about to step on some of your toes maybe, we are more wrapped up in country than we are kingdom. Let's just let that one sit for a minute. I've had people question me before, why on the 4th of July we don't get all patriotic in here? I don't live for this country. I live for his kingdom. I thank God for my country. But folks, some of us are way more wrapped up in the country than we are the kingdom. Think about this. When is the last time a politician said something or did something that made you angry? (laughs) I've yelled at my TV in the last six months, I promise. I mean, you could watch either one of those debates and just go, Lord, help us. When's the last time you forwarded that email, you know, about that company that did this or that and we should all boycott them? Please save your energy. Now, I want you to think about that In relationship to this, when was the last time that we had the baptistry right up here on a Sunday morning and you watched a teenage girl or a grown father of two get baptized and you could not wait for the service to end? It's like you jumped over chairs to get to that person and grab their hand and say, hey, welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to our family. When is the last time that you confronted a brother and sister in Christ over their sin? When is the last time you repented your sin to a brother or sister in Christ? When is the last time that we wept in brokenness over a lost co-worker, a lost friend, a lost family member? Have we been a bit more concerned about building a wall to keep refugees out than praying over how could we maybe build a bridge to get to the refugees? I think that at times we get a bit more wrapped up in protecting our country than advancing his kingdom. While we're trying to keep the refugees out, I think it would be healthy for us to remember that that's exactly what we are. We are refugees and immigrants. Peter says that we are strangers and exiles. Look with me, 1 Peter 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Remember, don't ever forget that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among those non-believers around you. Keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak evil of you, they speak against you as evildoers. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Folks, our mission here is not simply to defend morals and values. Our mission is to unleash the hope and love of Christ to people who are far away from God. Our mission is to unleash his marvelous light into that darkness that you and I were once drowning in, that we're only now out of because he chose to pursue us and rescue us. Our mission here is not to protect capitalism and defend the trickle down effect in the economy. So that money will finally get to the poor and the hungry. Our mission is to actually care for the poor and the hungry. And I really believe that at times we get really heated up because we start going, the government's trying to do all these things that the government shouldn't be doing. And, and you're absolutely right. And we all know that, like, let's take it to the nth degree, we all know that socialism is one of the worst ideas in history. We know this. But, but see, we argue that socialism and things like it, that that rises up in an attempt to either swallow up or push out the institutional church. But see, I would argue that at least to a degree that the, the reason why socialism and things like it rise up is because the church has become such an institution that it has ceased to be a movement of the kingdom of God. And the things that, no, the government shouldn't be messing with and taking care of, they start trying to because the people who are supposed to be taking care of those things aren't. And that's the church. It's awkward, I know. But this is where we are. There's way too much yelling and screaming going on, folks. Our mission is not to confront sin in lost people, but in one another. In God's kingdom, through the embassy of the church, those who are on the inside hold one another accountable... And then are thrust out together on mission to persuade and influence those on the outside. But we seem to keep getting this confused. We spend a lot of time and energy getting that backwards. And I think it's because we get kingdom confusion. CNN and emails we read and all these other things they start influencing our minds and our hearts and our actions more than this. When our hope is in Christ and our mission is to advance his kingdom we begin to look at this country and quite frankly this entire world as it actually is a mission field filled with people who are very, very skeptical, first of all, that there's a God, moreover, that there's a God that loves them. And then they're even way more skeptical about those people who call themselves Christians, and they're fully convinced that we don't love them. As we close this up this morning, let me say this to you. We aren't here to overcome sinners, okay? We are not here like an army to go out and overcome sinners. We're here because Jesus overcame sin. We overcome by the blood of the lamb, not by our vote. I saw a bumper sticker several years ago that said, "I'm Catholic <clears throat> and I vote." And I wanted to roll down my window and go, well, I'm Baptist and I like to lift weights. And I mean, where do you go with that? I I don't know. But I'm not telling you that your vote's not important, that we shouldn't engage in the political system. What I'm telling you is, is that as God's people, the way that we engage has got to change. We're not here to overcome sinners. We we are overcomers who are now sent to the sinners. And we're still some of them. I think that if we could have the heartbeat of the apostle Paul, if you look in 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy, the first letter that Paul writes to his young disciple In chapter 1, verse 15, look at what Paul says. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, this saying is trustworthy and it deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and I am the chief. I got to say, if the Apostle Paul is the chief of sinners, then I'm at least like a scout or something. I mean... I'm I'm right there, man. Here, let me say this, and we'll close. We'll get going here. We have become a people who want the present to be everything that we love about the past. We want the present and the future to be everything we love about the past. But understand that God's people, the people of God's, kingdom should be a people who are making the present everything that he has proclaimed about the future. See, you and I, we need to be keenly aware of everything that Jesus says about the kingdom of God so that we're going, I guess I should be producing that right now in my life. But we're nostalgic. I'm right there with you. These things felt good in the 80s. Some of them. You know, they didn't look good though. You know, we want things to be the way we like them. That's not the way it works. God's people care about politics because God cares about politics. But our politics are gospel politics in that we see everything through the kingdom of God. The gospel now changes and transforms how we live in this kingdom. It changes what we're living for. It changes everything that we say and do, how we act, how we live, how we think, everything. Folks, our banner is not a flag. It's not. Our banner is a cross. Our politics are not drowning in chaos and fear, okay? They should be absolutely overflowing and gushing with faith. And let me say this, because right now I'm sure there's always somebody that, I just want to know who I should vote for, pastor. I'm not telling you that. Here's what I will tell you. I have good news and bad news. First of all, Hillary and Donald, neither one, are the hope of the world. His name is Jesus. So we got that clear. But let me also say this, neither Hillary nor Donald, and I'll throw Bernie in there if you want me to, none of them are the antichrist or will single-handedly be ushering in the apocalypse. the kingdom of God will not be affected by the president of the United States in any other way except that God may choose to advance his kingdom somehow through that person. Labor in prayer and ask God for wisdom and discernment. And you can do this Resting in hope because our hope is not in a president. Our hope is in the king of kings and his kingdom, and you and I are part of it. When our character, when our relationships, when the vision for our lives, when our church, when our politics are shaped, formed, and surrendered to the gospel, to the kingdom of God, we will be a people of hope. We will be a people unleashing light into the darkness. We will be a people overflowing with peace and joy and reaching out in love. But we've got to remember what kingdom we're living for. I want to close this morning by reading to you the very end of the conclusion of this book. So I'm giving away the ending. It stinks, doesn't it? You're gonna need to read all 221 pages that lead up to this point though. It's our turn to march into the future. And we do so not as a moral majority or a righteous remnant, but just as crucified sinners with nothing to offer the world, but a broken body and spilled blood and unceasing witness. We are strangers and exiles on our best days, but we are not orphans and wanderers. Our strangeness is only hopeful if it is freakishly clinging to the strange, strange mission of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. The pursuit of righteousness and justice is of no purpose if it doesn't flow from seeking his kingdom first. Beside us, there may be flags and we'll pledge allegiance where we ought to and where we can. But over us, always over us, there's a cross. We may not always see where we are going, but we know the way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, we come to you as your people, and we just confess to you that very, very often, probably when we are living outside of walking in your spirit. Lord, that we, we get heated up and we get fired up and worked up and messed up. And God, we are very, very aware that there's a battle going on around us. But Lord, we ask this morning that you would give us the wisdom and the discernment through your word and your spirit to constantly remember that this is not a battle of flesh and blood. But Lord, that we are at war with the true enemy. And Lord, because of that, that we would engage with those weapons, with your word, with hope, with prayer, but by, by clinging Lord Jesus to you. Would you just take a moment and maybe just pray, Lord Jesus, give me a vision and a passion for your kingdom today that I've never known before. And maybe we ought to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, right here, right now, through us, your people. Lord, have your way with us. jesus in these moments we worship you and pray that you would just continue to transform our hearts and minds for the sake of your kingdom thanks for listening to the brook if you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow christ you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com